0: What I love is that Colt is going to be cleaning toilets, right? Is that your job? Yes. All right, great. So if you have some really nasty toilets, maybe some rental houses, some things like that, hopefully we can get at least 30 or 40 toilets for Colt to clean. Sound good? Good morning. Welcome to Our Lords. My name is Brock Bingaman. They've been calling me Barry White all week around the office because of my suave, hoarse voice. I cannot sing like Barry White, but I sound a little bit like him. I just want to start by saying I almost fell out of my chair when I saw Samuel Giles' vans. They're like three inches long. And I wanted to reach out and grab those and put them on my dashboard or something. They were just unbelievably cute. Can you believe they make shoes that detailed, that cute? for that size, those shoe people out there. So we are a kingdom here, a kingdom people, and we are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. We love the kingdom of God, we sing about it, and as a church, we're being energized by revisiting what the kingdom of God means for the people of God. And we're actually in a 12-week series on the kingdom And when we finish this, in six weeks, we're actually going to transition and talk about vision and values, Brad Kilman and Mike Milner and myself, the leadership team. And I just want to let you know that we are uh, reading and discussing, having conversations with some of you, praying together about strategic vision for this year, and we are really encouraged and excited about what God is doing. And... So we're gonna be talking about that for probably six or seven weeks and that'll be in a month and a half. Sound good? I wanna give you a little uh, taste though of something that's going on with our leadership team. We've been reading and we actually, when we visited the Evanston Vineyard, we saw a model of groups that they do, their community groups, that was really encouraging. And what we found is that about every decade, many of you know this, Churches that do community groups, small groups, have to reconfigure the way they work. And that's for cultural reasons and various things. So we have this growing vision and sense of strategy over our community groups and other groups, and we're really enthused about it. It's going to bring a simplicity to what we're doing and put us all on the same page. And what essentially we're going to do is rather than you commit to a C group for life, (laughs) Right. Some of you see group leaders, there's no end in sight, there's no terminus. What we're going to do is divide our groups and we'll meet 10 weeks at a time. And if you're loving a particular group, you can sign up for it again. So there's no sense of, oh, I only get 10 weeks with these people. And what it also does is it broadens what community groups are. We'll have some groups, we've got some people that want to run and walk together. Some people that want to drink wine and eat cheese together. We've got some people that want to study the book of Romans together over 10 weeks. So it's going to accommodate many things and put us on the same page. How does that sound? Does that sound good? So we're really excited. And what this model does for us is, one, it makes it easier for people to join groups. Sometimes it's a difficult ask to say, hey, come to this house, you don't know people. It's How long has a group been meeting? I've been meeting a year. So this will create easier on-ramps for people, one. The other thing, you know what it does? It preserves leaders. So the leaders sign up for a 10-week group, and if they wanna do it again, they can sign up again. All right, so this will help us preserve our leaders and raise up new leaders, and we're thrilled about that. We've got a number of other things that we'll be sharing in about six weeks. Sound all right? So in this current series here, we're looking at the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God undergirds and fuels everything we do here at our Lord's. That's why we're revisiting it. And as we look at the kingdom of God, several things happen. One is this. We better understand, more clearly understand the story of the scriptures. The kingdom is the theme or the motif that runs through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Secondly, it gives us fresh vision and strategy. You start to look at the kingdom of God in the Old Testament and the ministry of Jesus, and it starts to fire energy and vision. So that's a second reason. The third is that the biblical theology of the kingdom of God gives us a framework, a helpful framework for Christian life. And ministry. It helps us explain why people don't get healed all the time or why we're in battle, these kinds of things. So, in recent weeks, I just want to kind of give you a couple of touch points here, what we've done in recent weeks. We started with Genesis 1, and we looked and we found that the kingdom of God was in God's heart from the beginning. And God created man and woman in his image and wanted us to rule and reign with Him, and it didn't go so well. Human beings turned their back on God, but we looked ahead in the narrative and we saw in Genesis 12 that God's kingdom plans are unstoppable. So what does God do? What did God do in Genesis 12? Picked another man, picked another woman to make up for what happened in Genesis 1. Those people were Abraham and Sarah. God gave them promises and said, I'm going to start over again with, with you here. And so the promised Messiah is going to come through here and he's going to be a blessing to the nations through your family line. Then we looked in the narrative at Exodus. You remember the book of Exodus? We saw that God raised up Moses to deliver his enslaved people and he judged the gods of Egypt. And so we saw a kingdom intervention and then Mike spoke about First Kings 4 and he talked about how David and Solomon and their kingdoms were kind of a, a prefigurement, a picture, a snapshot of what the kingdom of God looks like. And he talked about multiplication and peace, blessing, spiritually, physically, these things. So we're getting some glimpses of the kingdom of God. Let me just ask, do you feel like you're learning something about the kingdom in revisiting this? I sure hope so. Some of you might be going like this, well, I'm not sure, or I'm visiting. That's okay. I find something really compelling, though, as we revisit the theme of the kingdom. Today we're going to look at the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at the kingdom of God in two prophets. We're going to look at the prophet Isaiah today, and then we're going to look at the prophet Daniel next week, because these are kingdom prophets both of them talk at great length about the kingdom of God, the dynamic rule and reign of God that breaks into human history. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm not really clear on what the kingdom is and how it's coming. I shared the, the analogy about World War II, that we're kind of living in between D-Day and V-Day. We'll talk more about this. So if you still have questions, what is the kingdom, when is it coming, how is it going to be consummated, these kinds of things, we'll address that over the next few weeks. Okay, we can't do it all in one Sunday, but what I want you to see today is Isaiah lays out a stunning vision of the kingdom of God 700 years before the Messiah comes. It's rather beautiful. I've put a slide up here, ancient scroll of Isaiah. This is from roughly about 350 years before Christ. Some of you may may have heard this story. You may have seen this. If you've gone to Israel, we had a group go to Israel recently, and there's a fascinating story attached to. This is one scroll of many. There was a little Bedouin shepherd boy who was chunking rocks in some caves in the Israeli desert, and he heard some pottery break Threw another rock in there, what he ended up finding was the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the greatest archaeological discoveries in modern history. And what they did, they took these out and they found unbelievably preserved copies of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, including the book of Isaiah. So that's what that is, and it's marvelous. It's really a amazing. So I want us to look actually at some of the scroll of Isaiah today. We're going to talk about this and I want to point out some features of his vision of the kingdom. The book of Isaiah is one of the most beloved books in the entire Bible. It is quoted more than any other Old Testament book in the New Testament, some 55 times. So there's something special about these 66 chapters of Isaiah. His name means Yahweh is salvation. So his name is kind of projecting the contents of his prophecy. I mentioned this was written, the book of Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah was a married man with two kids, lived in Jerusalem. And he had this ongoing series of insights, windows into what God had promised for his people. And it would take many, many years for these things to be fulfilled. And some of them still have not been fulfilled, as we'll see this morning. So my goal for us is to look at a few of the key features of Isaiah's vision here. And I recommended a a book some of you bought it because the shelf was empty out there, a book by a guy named uh, Derek Morphew, a South African theologian. He wrote a book called Breakthrough, and John knows him, I'm sure. And I'm using some of his material here. He lays out a very helpful outline for Isaiah, so I'm following that here. So the overarching theme that we're going to see this morning in Isaiah is that one day God's kingdom would come. It would break into human history, and the messianic king would bring salvation, not only to the nation of Israel, but to the nations of the world, and God's spirit would be poured out in an unprecedented fashion. The book of Isaiah unfolds like a great drama, as we'll see here. There are many parts to it, and I'm only touching on a few things, but I want us to think about this for a moment, okay, so that it's personalized. We're going to look at some theology here, but I want you to think about what this book has done for people over the last 2,700 years. One thing that this book does, what we're going to look at here, the vision of Isaiah, is it engenders hope. People that read the book of Isaiah, if you hang out with it long at all, it gives you hope. It reminds you of the fact that God one day is going to make things right. A second thing that this kingdom vision that Isaiah provides is that it gives people very practical, workable strategies on how to live under difficult political regimes. Some of you said, well, you lost me there. Think about this, though. Think about the Jewish people they have been persecuted for thousands of years. We're going to see under Assyria, under Babylon under the Nazi empire, and it was Isaiah that helped get the people through at different times and gave them specific strategies. Christians, under the boot of the Roman empire for 300 years, they also looked to this prophetic vision of the kingdom that Isaiah provided. So it helps people out. Anybody need some help today? I'm going to invite you to read Isaiah, to look at some of these things with fresh eyes. This is not abstract theology. This is actually incredibly helpful, and it's helped many people over years get through difficult times. Um, Yesterday, Amanda was reminding me of a situation that had something to do with this. I, I mentioned that 25 years ago I had breakfast with that wild British woman named Jackie Pullinger. Some of you remember she went to the walled city of China at age 22, took a boat, got off in the walled city and said, God has me here to take care of people, get them delivered from opium and other addictions to help set free prostitutes from their lives and get them connected to God and have a new life. And I was having breakfast with this wild woman, Jackie Pullinger, and some friends of mine were sitting back laughing because they knew what was coming. I was trying to have small talk with Jackie. So Jackie, where's your home base now? She stared at me. And my friends were giggling across the table. I said, so yeah, where are you based? And she looked at me and she goes, heaven is my home. And I kind of chuckled nervously and kind of poked at my hash browns and took another bite and tried again for some small talk. And she leaned across the table and she said, I'm serious, heaven is my home. That's the only way that I can do what I do and survive and thrive, is to have an understanding of the kingdom of God. I will never forget that. The only way that Jackie Pullinger could go into this cesspool where people were drug infested and there were rats and these various things, is because she had a vision of the kingdom like the kingdom vision we're gonna talk about today. She had captured something. This had gotten into her heart. Her bloodstream. She knew that the kingdom of God was on the move and saving and rescuing people. So the first thing I want to point out here is that Isaiah's vision tells us that God will come. And again, think of this. He's saying this 700 years before the coming of Jesus. He's saying, this is good news. This is the gospel according to Isaiah. 700 years before Christ. Look at Isaiah 40, 9 through 10. Again, what I'll do is lay out a few of these elements of Isaiah's vision of the kingdom and then we'll look at some particular passages in here and we'll make our way through this rather quickly. Isaiah 40, 9 through 10. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. So when it seems according to Isaiah that the enemy is coming in like a flood, Isaiah promises the king is going to come in like a massive wave, like a tsunami. The kingdom of God will come. Look at Isaiah 60, one through two. Some of you may have trouble seeing that as I am there. Maybe we can blow it up in the coming days here that I need my glasses. Isaiah sixty one through 2, listen to what Isaiah says. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness will cover the earth and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will appear over you. So the first thing that Isaiah says in his prophecies is that God, Yahweh, the same God that appeared and spoke to Moses back in Exodus three, he's going to come again. A second feature here of Isaiah's vision is of the coming king. A king will come. As I pointed out, Mike was talking about the kingdom of David and Solomon and he was showing us this amazing but limited picture And what Isaiah is saying here is that a greater David is coming. He prophesied this. And we just came through Advent, didn't we? These are some well-known passages in Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9. He's prophesying about the king that would come. And he says that the king would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the government of God's kingdom would rest on Messiah's shoulders and the messianic titles would fit him perfectly. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. So Isaiah is prophesying this. The king will come. He also says in Isaiah 11, you can look at this up here, Isaiah 11:2 2 through 4. Again, I'm just trying to give you a little glimpse, a taste. Ah, oh, Thank you, my glasses. Wonderful. What would I do without Amanda? Thank you, baby. A um, little distracting. A beautiful woman just handed me my glasses so I get a little befuddled here. You'll have to excuse me. Isaiah eleven two through 4. Isaiah is talking about the coming king and he said that the word picture here is that lots of leaders are going to be chopped down like trees. Kingdoms will come. Kings will come and go. But in this context, listen to what he says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. With righteousness, this Messiah will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And so what Isaiah is saying here is that one day he was prophesying that a messianic king would emerge from the stump of Jesse, from the line of of David. I want us to pause for a moment here, right? I know there's lots of kingdom theology that we're looking at, but I want to pause here, a 2019 pause. This is our leader we're talking about, the Lord Jesus, the one that Isaiah prophesied, who came, who lived, who died, who was raised from the dead, Our ultimate allegiance is to him. Is it not? Not to Trump? Not to Obama? Not to Bush? Not to Clinton? You can fill in the blank. I want us, as we look at the kingdom of God with fresh eyes, to realize the king is the one we give our ultimate allegiance to. Not the Democratic party. Not the Republican party not the Libertarian Party for you Libertarians out there. Yes, we want to be informed, well-read, engaged citizens of our country. I'm a news freak. I'm a news hound. I love reading the news and all that, but as I do it, and as I'm a raving lunatic sometimes around our house with my family, I remind myself my allegiance is to the King of Kings. And I want to know things about the political situation, but I am not staking my life on any earthly political party. That is recipe for a disaster. Somehow the people of God have had this vision of the kingdom through all the millennia, and it's gotten them through. We will always be disappointed by politicians. Again, we love them, we pray for them, we're grateful, but our commitment is to follow the Lord Jesus. The anointed king. A third thing here. Is that alright if I get political for a moment? Or political? A third thing here, quickly. third feature of Isaiah's vision is the coming spirit. Isaiah was not familiar with the doctrine of the Trinity. It wasn't clearly enunciated or grasped in the Old Testament. But you can see in his language that he had insight into the mystery of God. He talks about Yahweh. He talks about the messianic king. And he talks about Yahweh's spirit being poured out. So right there in this vision that Isaiah has over the 66 chapters is the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, the mystery of God. And I just want you to see that there. It's woven into Isaiah's vision of the kingdom. It's a Trinitarian vision. Look at Isaiah thirty-two fifteen. It says about the coming spirit. The spirit will be poured out on high upon us and the deserts will become a fertile land. One of my favorite passages, this is a great one for you parents to pray on your, over your kids. I get your attention there. Isaiah 44, three through four. Isaiah, speaking of the coming spirit says this, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground I will pour out my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Isaiah's prophesying that the spirit of God would be poured out on their children and your children will spring up like a green tamarisk, like willows by flowing streams. Isaiah is painting a beautiful word picture here and I have another slide here I want us to look at. Can you put that up of the, the desert? And it blooms... I don't know if you can see that very well, but this is a desert scene, and this is precisely what Isaiah has in his mind. Whether it's the people of God or the nations of the world, dry as a desert, broken, barren, the Lord pours out his spirit and things blossom and bloom immediately. So when the spirit is poured out, life comes to the people of God Isaiah 35, 1-2, to you can look at it later, but it speaks of this in greater detail. The, the wilderness, the, the desert being joyful and filled with gladness when the Spirit of God is poured out. A fourth feature of Isaiah's vision is the coming salvation. I'm only going to touch on a few things here, but it's critically important to see. When the kingdom comes, people get rescued. Isaiah saw this. It happened in the ministry of Jesus. It happens now for us. We proclaim and announce the kingdom of God and salvation breaks in to people's lives. Now, Israel had seen God save them before. We looked at the Exodus event and what Isaiah was saying here, something greater than the Exodus, something greater than Moses is coming. The Messiah is coming. Isaiah 49, 6 says this, The Lord says, regarding this messianic figure, he calls him his servant. I will give you, servant, as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. What's interesting about this, the Hebrew idea of salvation encompasses shalom. And the word shalom isn't just peace. Hey, I hope your bad day turns good. For the kingdom to involve and entail, shalom meant well-being that goes down into your bone marrow. It was body and soul and spirit. And so when the kingdom comes, the salvation of God comes, it's all embracing, right? And one day we'll see this. We'll talk about this more in the future because many of us are saying, why, why don't I see this now? The salvation of the king entails forgiveness of sins and healing. I want you to look at one of the most stunning prophetic oracles ever given in the Hebrew Bible. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says this. Again, speaking of this prophetic messianic figure that would come one day. Surely this servant has borne our infirmities and our diseases. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. At verse 6 it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. Verse 12. He bore the sin of many and made... Intercession for the transgressors. So again, Isaiah is prophesying the coming king, coming salvation, and he's saying that this is going to bring forgiveness of sins and healing through the suffering of this figure. Absolutely stunning to see here. A second thing that this coming salvation brings is great freedom. I just want to look at one passage here and then we'll move toward concluding here, Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, Isaiah says this about the Messianic figure. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me and He sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners. At verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. We'll see this. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the Gospel of Luke will take this passage and highlight this in the life and ministry of Jesus. But think how staggering this is. These are words being proclaimed about the coming King, bringing salvation through his own suffering, bringing peace, liberty, proclaiming release to the captives, helping the poor, What is amazing is the same anointing that was on Jesus, the one that Isaiah prophesied, is on us. Do you believe that? The very same anointing that was on Him is on us. We get to depend on the same Spirit, look to the same Father, Lord, teach us how to proclaim and demonstrate your kingdom. I'm getting fired up because each week I'm hearing stories of people going and doing this. And this last week, Amanda came home and another group went out with Kay Davis and now the group is doubled in size. So I guess you're going to multiple locations on Wednesday to pray for people. So now they're going to Walmart and they're going to Penn Square and they're offering to pray for people and one of my wife's friends, Casey, she said before they went that she had an image in her mind of a woman wearing uh, something blue, like a blue hat or something like this, and the Lord spoke to her and said, um, what was the word? I just went blank. Estrangement. That's it. So she went thinking that she would encounter someone and sure enough she did. She saw this woman wearing this blue head covering, and she went up to her and told her what had happened. Now, some people might say, well, that is really strange. And it is kind of strange. (laughs) But the fact that the God of the universe would speak to people and bring liberty and freedom to someone else, and that's exactly what happened. Casey had the, the courage, the chutzpah, to go up to this person and say, I think I've got something encouraging to share for you. And sure enough, this woman was estranged from her daughter and just had this big rupture in her life. And Casey got to pray for her. And it was an incredibly powerful moment. So I think the Lord is waiting for us to take some bold steps to go out and pray for people and be willing, whether we're at work or at school, wherever we might be. And we always use tact too, right? We don't need to be strange, we want to be supernatural people and do it very naturally. But I'll tell you, church, people want prayer. I mean, rarely does someone turn that down. If you do it nice and warmly and tell someone, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I think I may have something encouraging for you, the key is to do it tactfully and we'll see powerful, beautiful things. As we end here, I want to point out a fifth feature of Isaiah's vision that he's having. And that is that when the kingdom comes, a new people is formed. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 27 that God's kingdom and God's king would draw together people from every nation before it was over. That the Lord would call them to form one people. That that one little group, the Israelites, would actually grow and encompass Gentile people and that it would expand throughout history. We sit here today at Our Lord's in 2019 as a part of this new people. A final feature of Isaiah's vision here is the new creation. And again, I'm just kind of tossing these things out here and we'll come back and look at them in the coming weeks. A new creation. Isaiah prophesies that what we're seeing now is the beginning of that. That God is forming new people Forming new creations, individually us, but the day is coming, and frankly, this blows my circuits. I don't know how it's going to work, but Isaiah prophesies it. The New Testament talks about it, that we're going to see a new heaven and a new earth. And he speaks of this in Isaiah 65:17. "God loves the planet. God loves human beings. God loves all of creation. He looked at it in Genesis one and said, this is very good. So God one day is going to bring a kingdom transformation that's going to renew all that he created from the beginning. So we've seen here, God will come. A coming king will arrive. The spirit is coming in great power. There's coming salvation. There'll be new people and a new creation. So Lord, we ask that you would speak to us in this season about the kingdom of God. Lord, I ask that you would stoke our interest, that you would give us hunger for you and hunger for the scriptures, that we would find ourselves searching the scriptures for fresh vision and revelation on the kingdom of God. We say that you are our king and we follow you. Lord Jesus, we follow you. We give you ourselves afresh today in your mighty name. Amen.